Many of us have heard the sound of hummingbirds feasting at our home bird feeders. The sound is unique, almost like the sound of a, of a large bumblebee. We will painstakingly cook up the hummingbird's favorite nectar with just the right amount of sweetness to lure them back for more intimate viewing. While this tiny bird is a common sight during spring, summer, and fall, they offer one huge challenge for photographers to capture a good photograph of them. In today's episode of the Nature Photography Podcast, we'll learn more about this simple hummingbird and see how photographing them is not all that simple. As with any wildlife photographic subject, it's always best to learn as much as you can about your subject so that you can better predict where they'll be and more accurately understand their movements. With this information, the photographer can take better pictures of their intended subjects. There are over 350 species of hummingbirds, most of them living in warm climates such as Central America and South America. Only five are generally seen in North America, so that narrows it down quite a bit as to which hummingbird we're dealing with. Those five are the ruby-throated, rufos, costas, allens, and anna's hummingbird. In California, we mostly see the allens and anna's hummingbird, and some rufos hummingbirds. Allens stay a little bit south while annas spend their time north as far as Canada and Alaska. While the Rufos and the Allens are very similar in their appearance, you most likely will be able to tell the difference due to where you see them. The Allens hummingbird will stick to the southern part of the west coast, while Rufus will go all the way up to Alaska, making this bird's migratory mileage thousands of miles. The Anna's hummingbird's male version will have a bright red crown and throat, while the female is mostly a dull green. At the Allens and Rufos, hummingbirds both have a dramatic splash of orange in the crown and on their sides. In the southern part of the U.S., you'll likely find the Costas hummingbird. This species has a super vibrant purple crown, so bright that it's hard to capture the color on your camera's sensor. I'll give you some tips on how to do that later. East of the Mississippi is where you'll find the ruby-throated hummingbird. Named for how the male looks, this hummingbird summers in the United States and up to Canada, and then winters back down in Central America. All hummingbirds act pretty much the same, regardless of the species, so wherever you are, you should be able to predict their patterns. The hummingbird is famous for its hovering behavior. They seem to stay in one place in midair, with wing beats up to 90 flaps a second. Then they're gone as fast as they appeared, zipping off in random angles. The hummingbird will feed on tiny insects and spiders, as well as nectar from flowers. They will hover in front of the brightly colored flowers and dip their long beaks deep into the flower to take a sip of the sugary loaded nectar. This is great news for us photographers, as we know 
that they will come for a visit to hummingbird feeders that we fill with sugar water recipe that they just can't resist. The first challenge you'll face photographing hummingbirds is that their wings are moving pretty fast. As the photographer, you'll have an artistic decision to make. Do you want sharp wings or blurry wings? After the break, I'll give you the details on how to achieve either super sharp wings or slightly blurry wings. As a professional photographer, there's one tool that I use just about every day. And no, it's not my camera. It's my computer. And more specifically, it's Adobe Lightroom. I've been using Lightroom from the very beginning, since it was introduced back in 2007. I've taught many photographers how to use Lightroom in my hands-on classes, as well as through online training. I feel this program is the best available for organizing my photographs so I can find certain images among thousands I've shot over the years. But I especially like it for processing my raw photographic files. While many of my final images get some sort of treatment in Photoshop, all of my images are processed through Adobe Lightroom, all of them. My goal is to do as much image processing as I can in Lightroom first. This makes my workflow go much faster. One of the things that also makes my workflow faster are preset brushes. I've created several myself that are built specifically for wildlife and nature photography. These brushes are easy to load, easy to use, and make developing your images in Lightroom more creative. For listeners to this podcast, I'm offering a special collection of nature photography Lightroom preset brushes. You can use these to improve your nature photography, be it landscape or wildlife photography. When you download my Lightroom brushes, You'll also get exclusive access to the instructional videos to learn how each and every brush works and when to use them. Find out more by visiting my website, imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. Click on the podcast page and you can order them right there. When photographing hummingbirds, their 90 beat per second wing speed presents the challenge of how do we want to show their wings while they're in flight. Do you want to show the wings blurred or stopped cold? For the version that shows the motion of the wings flapping, a kind of ghosted effect of the wings moving so fast that it looks like a blurry fan, this can be the easiest technique to pull off. A shutter speed of 1 500th of a second will certainly freeze the hummingbird while he's hovering, but his wings will be quite blurry from the movement. Most cameras today have a shutter speed that'll go up to 1 8,000th of a second, and that may very well work at sharpening up those buzzing wing flaps. The best way to do some testing is to see what you like best. Start with an active bird feeder and stay as far away as you can so that you won't disrupt the hummingbird while it's feeding. Use a lens that will allow you to get a nice shot of the tiny bird, so that it's likely gonna be a telephoto lens, maybe a 200 or 300 millimeter in most cases. If the hummers in your area like to sit on a perch and drink, this is the best way to start. You won't need to do anything fancy, just shoot test photographs changing out your apertures with that lens. You want to discover the aperture that works best to photograph the hummingbird with that particular lens. You want enough depth of field 
and make sure that the whole bird is in focus, but not too much depth of field that the background becomes distracting. Once you have your location and your aperture figured out, it's time to experiment with the shutter speed. If your lighting is staying the same for a while, switch over to manual mode and start to move your shutter speed faster. Remember, every time you make your shutter speed faster, you'll have to increase your ISO to allow you to get that same base exposure. Move your shutter speed to 1 1,000th of a second and see if you like the results on a moving hummingbird. Keep going until you reach 1 8,000th of a second. You'll have to decide what works best for your taste. Go check them out on a large screen computer. Don't make these decisions solely based on what you see in the back of your camera. Check out the wingtips. Are the tips sharp? How much blur do you want? Check all the levels with the different shutter speeds and try to hone in on what you like. To improve your photography of hummingbirds, put your camera on a tripod. I like to use a tripod with a Wimberly gimbal head. This way, I can move the lens and camera quickly without having to crank down knobs to lock the lens and camera into place. Because the Wimberly is a gimbal head, you can balance your setup when you start and know that the camera will stay exactly where you left it. When hummingbirds are hovering around a feeder, they're pretty easy to track but I'd say don't even bother trying to track them when they're flying to and from the feeder. They're just too fast. But while they're near the feeder, they'll likely do the same maneuvers over and over again. Up, down, left, right. If you watch them enough, you'll figure out their pattern. After many hours of watching the hummingbirds in my area, they'll hover, take a drink, then tilt their head back up and then rise up a couple of inches. Then they go back down to the feeder. This is valuable information. Now I can predict their movements when they're coming in to visit for the nectar supply. Another thing to watch for is their perch. Now I'm not talking about perching on the feeder itself, but when they're next in line to have a drink. If you watch them, they'll usually land on a limb or a nearby bush, wait, then zip in for a quick drink. Now there is a hierarchy to drinking at the feeder. So perching somewhere else to see if the coast is clear is very common. Many times there's a dominant male who wants to keep the feeder to himself. In my area, he sits nearby and buzzes in to chase off any of the others who want to take a drink at the bar. When he finally goes back to his nest, six or seven of the others will all drink at the same time, you know, while the bully is gone. Knowing where your birds perch can be discovered by just watching and following their patterns. One of the birds in my area will perch within a couple of inches of the same spot every time. It's a great time to photograph them sitting still, and this is predictable. Next up is to take a look at your images and determine if the wings are sharp enough. Even at 1 8,000th of a second, the wing can still appear blurry. 
the next step you need to take if you really want sharp wings is to use electronic flash. If you're listening to this podcast, you're likely into photography. Coincidentally, so am I. I'm Terry Vanderheiden, full-time professional photographer. Not only do I create photographs for a living, I do photography just for fun. In my spare time, I also teach photography classes and workshops. If you'd like to find out more about what I offer, check out my website at imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. You can also find some videos I've created over on YouTube. Just search for Terry Vanderheiden or search for uh, how to use a monopod and you can find me that way. Feel free to email me if you have any questions on the topics I cover in this podcast or suggestions on how I can improve it. If you like this podcast, please give it a star rating and maybe even a quick review so others can find it easier. It would be great if you could share this podcast with other friends who might have an interest in photography. I'd really appreciate it. And thanks again for listening. So here's my warning about how technical this can get. And using flash is not for everyone. However, if you want to take your hummingbird images to the next level, then keep listening. This will get this will get pretty detailed. Using electronic flash will take a bit more patience, but the payoff is fantastic. For this exercise, we're gonna work with portable electronic strobes. There's a couple of good reasons to use the portable versions. The first is their small size and portability, and then you can place them anywhere and not have to have an outlet nearby to plug them in. However, the most important reason that we use the smaller flashes is that you can create a very fast light source. This part is important, so follow along. The more power you output from your flash, the slower the light is. The less power you use, the faster it will go off. When you're using your flash on manual mode and set it at full power, the strobe goes off at about a thousandth of a second. However, if you set your flash on 128th of a power, it can go off at 1 40,000th of a second. Now that is pretty fast. The downside of shooting at such a low power is the diminished volume of light. At 1 128th power, not much light is being cast on your subject. As you move up the range, 1 64th power gets you about a 30,000th of a second and on up. At F16, the power you're shooting at it's one ten thousandth of a second. So I would suggest you start there at one sixteenth power and see if you need more stopping speed. And if you do, then you just cut the power of the flash. The logic is pretty simple. To get more light, add more flash units. In large setups, it's not uncommon to have three or four flash units going off at the same time. In order to get good stop action shots of hummingbirds that are coming to your yard, 
there's some setup that needs to happen first. To start with, you need to do a test. This is where you set your flashes up and put your camera on a tripod positioned to where you want to capture a hovering hummingbird. The lights are going to have to be on separate light stands and pointed pretty close to where you want your subject. You'll want to shoot at the same time of day that you expect hummingbirds. So that's early morning and late in the evening. And that's obviously the very most popular feeding times. Begin with a small stuffed animal or a thick stick to act as your subject. Try to find something that would replicate the size of one of your hummingbirds. Mount it on a stand to stay in the same spot throughout testing. Put your first strobe set on manual at 1 16th power and aimed at your subject. We'll call this your main light. Have the light coming from the right slightly above the bird feeder, essentially shining in the hummingbird's face when he's feeding at the feeder. Next, put a light behind the subject in the back left of the frame. Make sure the strobe unit is not seen by the camera. This will be your separation light. Start it at 1 16th of power as well. Set your camera on the highest shutter speed that your camera can sync with the strobe. My Nikons are set at 1 250th of a second, so that's what I use. You will need some sort of trigger that fires the flashes when your shutter goes off. This can be in the form of a radio transmitter or an infrared transmitter. Refer to the make and model of your camera to get that answer. Now, take a test shot. If you're shooting at ISO 100 and you're at F8 or F16, your background should be dark or black as long as your background is not in full sunlight. This is a good thing. The darker the background means that you're not getting any ambient light into the shot and that it's been totally lit by strobes. This also means you now have total control over the shot with your lights and the speed of the flashes will now determine the stop motion of the shot. If you're not getting a good exposure yet, try moving the flashes closer to the subject. Try adjusting your f-stop and finally, adjust your ISO. Remember, increasing your ISO is always your last resort. You can adjust the power of your flashes to change the look as well. Maybe a little less power from the separation light, since the angle of light might be too bright for your taste. Lastly, consider your background. You have options here. One way is to hang a drape that will be, say, green fabric that's out of focus in the background. Some photographers go to the extra step of taking a photograph of greenery completely out of focus, making a big print, and then hanging it in the background. You'll have to add a light to that background. Yes, a third light. And that's going to be just lighting up the background. Now the shot of your test stick should be looking pretty good. The next challenge is to wait for the live hummingbirds to come visit. Since wild animals are wary of changes, you may want to build your setup slowly. Put a light stand out there one evening. A few days later, when they're comfortable with that, add a second stand. Another day or so, hang your background. Slowly add your strobes, and when the birds are comfortable feeding again, turn your strobes on with fresh batteries. Hook up your camera a good distance away 
and wait. When they get hungry, they'll come. Don't fire the strobes all on the first subject. Take your time. This is an ongoing project. Let your subjects get used to this extra equipment out there. Lastly, you'll want to improve your foreground. Until now, you've been photographing your hummingbirds at your feeder. But wouldn't it look more natural if they were feeding from a flower? Anchor a flower there instead of the feeder. Once your flower is in place, take a syringe or an eyedropper and place a few drops of your feeder liquid down the throat of the flower. Now when your hummingbird comes to drink, they're treated to dipping into a real flower. This makes a much better photograph. Obviously, you, you'll want to position your camera so that there's not a bird feeder in the background. You'll want to make this whole shot look natural. There's yet another level you can achieve with your hummingbird photography, and that is changing the quality of light. So far, you're using three electronic flash units pointed directly at your hummingbird subject and one for the background. Some species have crowds that almost look like tiny sequins reflecting light in all kinds of directions. The Costas hummingbird is in that category. And for this reason, they can be difficult to capture the colors the way you see them. When using a straight flash to illuminate such a reflective subject, the colors may not pop like what you're seeing through your lens. The reason for that is you have essentially a very sharp, tiny light source in, that, in your electronic flash. Kind of like the sun appears at noon in the sky, a very sharp light with deep shadows. To change the quality of light, you need to soften it. The easiest way is to buy or build a small softbox to bounce your light into to create a larger light source. Kind of like when you have a layer of clouds that diffuses the sunlight into a much softer light. You can also point your flash backwards and bounce the light off of a white cardboard or if you happen to be a white wall right there. Another way is to shoot your light through a piece of diffusion material like white plexiglass. This will soften the light and give reflective parts of the hummingbird much better color rendition and softer shadows. Now this diffusion does come with a price. You're outputting less light volume when it has to go through plexiglass or a softbox. This means you may have to boost your flash's output, thereby reducing how fast the strobe goes off. One solution is to put more than one flash into the softbox so that you can get more power out of light without suffering a faster flash speed or bumping your ISO up and degrading your photographs. After you get your light to work the way you want, the next thing you may want to experiment with is moving your camera closer. That may mean setting your camera up with a remote shutter trigger to fire the camera when you're not near it. The remote is usually plugged into the cable release port of your camera, and there are some smartphone apps that can fire the camera remotely and let you look at the results right there on your phone. As you move your camera closer, you can experiment with wider lenses. Yep, try using a wide angle lens staged right up next to the bird feeder and fire remotely. This will give you a large depth of field shot 
of your yard and make a very interesting view of the birds and their habitat. So there you go, everything I know about photographing hummingbirds. Start off easy with just a bird feeder and your camera. If you wanna progress, look at using different lenses. Finally, when you're really ready for a challenge, try using the electronic flash setups. Next time on the Nature Photography Podcast, we track and photograph wild turkeys. They present some unique challenges of their own, but we'll figure it out. Join me if you can. Until next time, this is Terry Vanderheiden saying thanks for listening to the Nature Photography Podcast, sponsored by ImageLight.com. If you want to see photographs and links and other details, check out the website, ImageLight.com, and click the link to the podcast info.